0: Good morning. Usually I get up here and I go, What a glorious day. But it is. It is. Just a little wet today. I'll tell you what, man, you guys are diehards. <laughs> I so appreciate you guys, really, honestly. Your heart for the fellowship, your heart for worship in the Word, it's, it doesn't get it. I'll tell you, you just make what I do so much more um, joyful. It really is. All right, well, so we're studying the life of Christ, um, following uh, uh, his timeline, as it were. So if you'll turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 4. Luke, chapter 4. Eventually, I'll I'll stop with this introduction, because I do it every week. But we've been following Jesus from eternity to a little town in Bethlehem, a little manger there. And then at eight days old, he is being weaned and circumcised. I'm not, he's being circumcised, two years old. He goes through this dedication and Mary offers up the uh, offerings of uh, of uh, the sacrifice for, for her uh, being cleansed. And then we find him again in the temple or on the temple mount uh, conversing with the scribes and the lawyers and all and and then from 12 all the way up till he is 30, there's a, there's a time period where it's just silent. The silent years, they call it. And we hear nothing. And then when Jesus is around 30 years of age, we see him then walking down the embankment of the Jordan River, walking out there to John the B, John the Baptist, and uh, say, John, you need to baptize me. John has a hard time with that, as I would, and um, I'm sure you would too. Jesus walked up and said, hey, baptize me. This is a joke, right? (laughs) John says, no, I need to be baptized of you. But Jesus said, though, that, that righteousness could be fulfilled. That the right thing would kind of play out here, John. We need to be obedient. To kind of bring John the Baptist's ministry to an end. This was the last act. He is called the Elijah. Of the Old Testament, John the Baptist. And Jesus kind of, I don't think he sternly told him, but forcefully, you know, no, John, this is the way it's got to be, got to happen. He baptizes Jesus, and when it's Jesus comes up, uh, and, and again, we're, until we go home to be with the Lord, we're really not going to know what that scene looked like. Some have said it was like where the heavens would scroll back. That's what I think, because I see the same wording in the book of Revelation. But something comes out of this opening. It's not a literal dove, you know, a bird. But I believe it's something that took the form, a shape. And that would be his glory. The Old Testament, we call it his a heaviness, came down upon him. And the wording, could you imagine being there? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Read that verse. How many have we have read that year after year? I mean, put your hand up if that's a familiar verse, right? Did you ever think that God was alluding to the silent years? I always thought, this is my son, I'm well pleased. And I'm thinking, well, sure he would be well pleased with him. You know, he's going to have his earthly ministry for three and a, three years, and then he's going to, you know, go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to pour out his heart there. He's going to die on a cross. Why wouldn't the Father? Huh? But that, the, 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 the context of that, that's not what he means. He goes, all these 18 years, you've done everything I've asked you to do. And you go, well, what did he do? Well, we, did all. we don't know. Other than he was a carpenter, I guess he was a pretty good carpenter, you know. And uh, he, was, he went to the synagogue weekly. We're told that. That's another commentary we have. Uh, you know, He went to the, to the synagogue, which was accustomed to him. He was accustomed to do that. And, uh, well, we don't have anything. But yet God from heaven says, this is my son, and I am just well pleased. What a message to everyone that's not in the public eye in ministry. What a message for everyone that gets up and they get to the, you know, they're about the grinding mill. They're, t- they're you know, they're clocking in, clocking out. They're businessmen, but they're godly businessmen. They're, they're carpenters. They're doctors. They're lawyers. They're lawyers. Well, yeah, even Christian lawyers and, you know. <laughs> but would God be able to say of us, you, I, me, this is my, well, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased? And I pray so. I pray so. And the area we're going into now is that area of temptation. So, in Luke chapter 4, let's read the text together. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did not, he. He ate nothing, and when they were ended, after his fast was over, he afterward hungered. My old King James said he was hungry. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The devil taken him up. Into a high mountain, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all the, this power, power I will give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me to whomsoever I will, I give it. Notice Jesus did not refute him. If thou therefore w- uh, will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He brought him to Jerusalem. He sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. He says unto him, Well, if thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down from hence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus answered and he said unto him, it, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had entered, or ended all temptation, he departed from him for a season. Again, guys... I just need you to stand with me with Bible in hand, and let's pray over this. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Literally, Lord, without your spirit, it would just be a book with black letters in it. Without your Holy Spirit, Lord, to lead us and guide us, we would just be meandering through it. But, Lord, you said that your spirit was sent into the world... Not only just to convict people of sin, but to lead us and to guide us into righteousness. So, Lord, we ask that you would just again anoint our minds and our hearts to receive your word. We know, Lord, it is a written word, and we also know it's a spoken word. So, Holy Spirit, speak it to us, Lord. We love you, and again, just commit this time into your hands. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray together. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Again, to many of us, this is just um, a familiar passage. But when we look at this, uh, there's so much that's applicable, things that we can apply to our own lives. Um, I want to just start off by saying if you're into titling anything, go ahead. I'm not until after I'm done. (laughs) I never think about giving a message a title. Uh, When I speak up in Philly, there's a first thing there. What's the title of your message? I, uh, Luke 4. (laughs) But there is a central theme here. And that, I would say that theme would be that our Lord is an example in temptation. You also don't get confused with temptation. Many people think temptation means that little child that is, you know, told don't take that cookie and he just stares at it for a few hours till he gives in. Now, this is more like a time of testing. And it's, it's different than a trial. The Bible tells us that we experience both. And I believe that God allows both. But it seems to be the temptation the test is for you and I. Well, so is a trial, but it, the trial is a pruning. A trial is where it just conforms me more and more into his image. No, I don't think temptations or tests are like that. And just to watch how, how successfully Jesus handles the, this test or these temptations. Knowing that God has allowed him to go through these things. You kind of wonder why. Why would God allow it? Why would God want him to go through a series of tests? He's the son of God. The God in the flesh preordained before the foundations of the world. And then God, he's there now. God says, now I'm going to put you through the test. I think for two reasons. And these are my ideas. You're welcome to make as many as you want but one of the reasons why God allowed him to to go through these tests is so that you and I would understand a very important biblical truth and that is he can as a high priest he can sympathize with all our weaknesses he can sympathize with our struggles he can say to you and I through the holy spirit when we're being tempted or put in a trial he can say Yes, son, daughter, I know what that is. I was there. I understand that temptation. Will you just look into scripture? And that's the second reason. What would have happened to you and I? Where would we be today if it wasn't for this glorious passage showing us how to handle temptation? How to follow the examples of Christ if it was never here? Could it be that God in his divine love and purposes for our lives, he says, okay, son, I have to put you through this ordeal because there's a crazy church in South Jersey. It's just got to hear this and they've got to see this. Doesn't it say that even Paul, the apostle from time to time, he would say to those churches, I have done this as an example for you to follow. He would even say, follow me as I have followed Christ. Yeah, I think some of these things uh, are. You know what it's like? It's like an open book test. Boy, I loved those in school. (laughs) Open book tests freak me out. I don't know why. Uh, You put a piece of paper, uh, and I just go dumb. What, you're asking me a question? You know, I remember in the academy, the first, the last exam we had to take there, it wasn't really that difficult. Ask any police officer. It's not rocket science, you know, to figure out some laws and case studies. And And yet, when they put that, I froze. And I thought, oh, God, help me. I wish it was an open book test. It's an open book test. But that's what it is. We have an open Bible test. And there's listen, this might even be hard for some of us to embrace because of the, the whole mentality of America Christianity. But some people have a hard time with that concept. That you don't have to fail the test. Why would you fail the test? There's no timeline on it. He's not saying, okay, you're done at 3 o'clock, or you're done. No, it's, it, it's for eternity, it's open book, and it's all there. You know why the American Christians... Uh, um, I have a, because there is no desire for the word anymore. Mainline, the mainstream, whatever you call it, Christianity, listen, we are the minority. You're just, oh, that sounds a little weird. Honest to goodness, there's not too many people. Not too many people. And I'm not talking about just doing a daily devotion. I'm talking people who love the word, who want to study the word, who want to memorize the word, people who uh, want to pass the test. They want to make sure they come out like Jesus. You know, this is my son. They want that to, the endorsement. This is my son and, or my daughter, who I am well pleased. These passages will show us. It is, it, is, it is an example. How to be victorious. In every test, every temptation we might have to, to confront. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost... Returned from Jerusalem was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now being tempted, uh, well, I'm sorry, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did uh, did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. He was there. Listen, I, I fasted for a week and thought I was going to die. And you do the craziest thing. I, I went on a fast one time with some friends for a week. And this is before I tried to eat, started to eat healthy. But um, the first place I hit was the Colonel's chicken, Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> Not a good thing to do after a week of fasting. <laughs> Forty days with nothing to eat. Again, uh, you, uh, there's a few things I want you, you to notice uh, the, the circumstances around this. Notice it, that this is right after uh, Jesus had uh, this mountaintop experience. This is right after he and many the multitude heard, "This is my beloved son." Oh, this glorious day, a glorious moment! The Messiah is now entering into the world. The Messiah, the Lamb of God, and that's what John the Baptist called him. Right? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He received his father's endorsement. And here, here's the point I want to make. This Satan loves to attack after any mountaintop experience. Go ahead and give the, the, the greatest Bible study of your lives, right? Go ahead and lead someone to the Lord. Go ahead and go to a conference. Ladies, be aware after that conference. The enemy is not just going to want to lay back because you girls had such a glorious time here this weekend. No, that is when he loves to pour it on. So my point is this. After an experience with God, say you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You think that's going to stop the enemy? You led your family member to Jesus. You think that's going to stop the enemy? So what is the point? We need to be vigilant. In fact, the Paul, Paul the Apostle even says we he need to be so vigilant, we even need to know how he works. The way the devil scrutinizes and the way that he looks for that little chink in the armor, as it were. He wants to know where we're weak and when he discovers that, that's where he hits you the hardest. You might say, man, this weekend was just a glorious time. But that is not going to stop the enemy from pouring it on. Case in point again, second illustration, is when Jesus had that experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you remember that, he then is metamorphosed. He has changed somehow into his glorious appearance. He's got Moses and Elijah hanging out with him and Peter, James, and John are hanging back. They're going, wow, look at this. Talk about a mountaintop experience. As soon as he comes down, He's confronted with a demoniac, with a demon possessed boy. You can read that in Luke chapter nine. And when I read that, being a dad and a granddad, I can't imagine not only the heart of Jesus kneeling, I'm needing to confront a demon possessed child, but the father. Here Jesus comes, and he even asks, and I know I'm kind of paraphrasing all this, do you? Comes down, the father says, you've got to help my son. I've taken him to your disciples. I've taken him to the synagogue. No one can help him. And then Jesus turns around and he goes, oh, you're li- you a little faith. You know, how long do I need to be with you? And he looks at this kid, and as soon as he looks at this kid, the demon throws him into a fire. Can imagine the reaction of dad. And there's no panic on Jesus' side. He commands this demon to come out of him. And the demon immediately came out. The disciples are so blown away with this thing. Why couldn't we do it? He goes, you know what? This kind. That blows my mind. I don't study demonology that often. But he says, this kind. The only way to get them suckers out is prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Fasting. But after that, after 40 days of fasting, after all, you know, here the enemy comes and he attacks him. Now, listen, just as a side note, because this kind of wraps this section together, we are created in the image of God. Now, I don't think God's walking around with a bald head and a couple arms and a couple legs. But what he is referring to is God is triune. He's, He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen, guys? Well, when he created us, he made us triune. We are body, uh, soul, and spirit. We've got a body. We've got a soul. The body's my flesh. The spirit, uh, the, I'm sorry, the soul is my emotion, my psyche. What makes me laugh? What makes me cry? Um, what brings on depression? Um, what drives me? You know, the way I think. And my soul does that. My spirit is where God dwells or deals with man. We are triune. So the enemy will test us in body, and he'll test us in soul. But where he attacks us is the spirit. He attacks us in the spirit. One thing about him, too, the enemy, he he knows no fair game. Uh, He looks for the way. He's sort of like that lion, looking for that smallest and weak animal in that herd to attack it, to to pounce on it, and then to devour it. That's why the Bible tells us to make sure we're growing, we're learning, we're growing, we're maturing. Personally, we need to be, be aware of this. When you are physically run down, you know, hard week, you know you're working doubles, you're trying to keep the house. you're just so fatigued physically, you need to be aware because that's when the enemy. Loves to attack. I've seen it in my own life. Good traveling. Having a great time in India. Having a great time wherever the Lord had sent me. When I would get home, the whole jet lag thing, this, the fatigue would set in. And that's when I found myself being tested. Why don't you just yell a little bit? Why don't you just lay around and do nothing? Why don't, and all this. And that's when he, because he knows I am so exhausted. That's when he attacks me. Now, God isn't telling us to fake it and get up and take a vitamin B12 or something. And uh, that's not what He's saying. But what He is saying is if you rest in me and you combat this thing by the Word of God, because Jesus does this every temptation, you know, thus it is written, Satan. And He uses the Word of God. Satan is not a creative being, brothers and sisters. He, he is not creative. He doesn't have any new tricks. They're old gimmicks. And they go back as far as the Garden of Eden. He comes to Eve, Eve and he goes, Hey, Eve, <laughs> look at this. You hungry? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So he shows it out. Oh, by the way, you know, God doesn't want you to have that. Yeah, I know. He told us that. You know why? No know why? He just doesn't want you to have this. Godly super knowledge. And if you take this, then you'll have all the superior knowledge on know the good and evil. Come on, babe. I don't know if Satan said, babe, but you know. He's tempted him. No, no why, why, why do I say it's not a new thing? Because it, uh, he, that's exactly how he tempted Jesus, right? Lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. I do want you to flip real quickly to 1 John chapter 2, 15. Because you need to see that verse, verse 16 of 1 John 2, in its context. 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 15. These are his devices, the enemy. (laughs) He's only got three of them. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says... I hear Russell, so I'm going to just keep talking here until you get there. I'd give you the page number, but I'm using notes. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Notice the, the second phrase here. If any man loves the world, really the love of the Father is not in him. I love what we said in his commentary in light of this, that that individual who loves the world more than the love of the Father, can't experience the love of the Father. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's not of the Father, but it's of the world, and that's why you can't experience that that love of God. The world's going to pass away. So will the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life is the context. The lust thereof... But he that do, does the will of God, that, that abides forever. Let me have your eyes for just a second. We'll read the next verse. But, you know, the, these tests, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that, that's not forever, gang. The, the trials and tribulations, it's not forever. The rest that you long for, that's coming. And I got this gut feeling it's almost here. This isn't a place where we want to make home. Well, This isn't the place where we want to fall in love with. No, we need to stay in love with heaven and stay in love with our Savior, our Creator. We need to stay in love with just the idea that one day we'll see Him face to face. As Paul said to the church in Corinth, we'll know all things as they're to be known. Imagine that, all these questions you have now as they relate to God. All, the, all these doubts as it relates to God, all of them will be answered one day. Right in the face of God when you see Him face to face. Who's longing for that? Then why do we want to even entertain loving this world? Because when you love this world, oh my goodness, the enemy will get a grip on your life. The lust of the flesh, you'll be battling this flesh thinking, man, I have no victory in sight. You'll be battling the lust of the eyes and you're going to want to walk around with dark glasses on so you don't see anything. The pride of life, you're going to feel like, okay, it's not about God anymore, it's about me. That's exactly what Eve fell into. God just wants to kill your joy, Eve. He doesn't want you to have all this superior knowledge. So just take a bite. He has no new gimmicks, gang. He does the same thing over and over and over. The test might look different. You know, what What might be a temptation to me or a test to me might not be to the person next to you. But it's still the same test. It just looks different. The things that you might never even have a desire to look at. The lust of the eyes. You might say, how, I can't even have a computer in my house. And I, God bless you for that. For being bold enough to get rid of it. But that neighbor of yours might not have that same test. It just looks different. That's all. And the pride of life... We all struggle with that. Everyone in this room that's listening to my voice right now, we all face that almost on a daily, daily basis. At least once a day, don't you think you need to be right? Just saying. You think you need to be, even with the alarm clock, you think you can just supersede that thing going off. Don't love the word. Back to Luke. Oh, no, verse 18. Stay there. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists. They would be the precursor to the main Antichrist. The Antichrist. Whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, if John was alive today and he was penning this out, he would say something like this. I thought... We were in the last times then. You should see it today. Paul the Apostle said the same thing to the church in Thessalonica. He said, You know that already the law of lawlessness is already at hand. He's already doing it. And we see it today lawlessness, don't we? Go back to Mark, um, Luke, guys. Let's look at the, this temptation. He says unto him, well, if you're the son of God, turn these stones that they may be made bread. And Jesus answered and said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Again, this is the test. You know, if you are are, here's the the question, Um, why don't you just uh, allow yourself to be led by the passion or the desires of your flesh? Jesus, you're hungry, aren't you? the desires, the appetites of my flesh, if they weigh more heavily on my heart, if they ta- are, they, they're taking up that place in my heart that supersedes the word of God or the will of God, we've got a problem. No matter how fatigued we might be, we have to evaluate, I think, from time to time. Not only be alert, but to Evaluate. What's the best thing for me to do if I am this fatigued? Looking for pleasures, more than importance, that, I'm sorry, uh, looking for pleasures is more important than living for the will of God. And that is exactly what Satan lays on the hearts of, of many. And if you notice Jesus, how he resists it. He says in verse four, it is written, "Man shall not live um, by bread alone, but by every word." Um, uh, of the word of God. It takes more in this life to live as a Christian. It takes more to live um, from bread alone. It takes the word of God. Uh, See, so he meets this temptation with the word of God. And what's so important is to live a life, to live a life um, by the will of God, by the word of God. Uh, Jesus is quoting here Deuteronomy chapter 8. And uh, uh, this, is what he, this is what it took for Jesus to stand against just the temptations and the, the, the trickery and the tests of Satan. It took the word of God. How many of us have tried to handle temptation just within human strength or um, just, you know, I'll just take a nap? Or I'll just take some time off. And, and then to just find out you're, you're still being beat up at, at a record rate. The word of God uh, is so important. Without that conviction towards the will of God and the obedience, we will spend our days continually failing at these, at these tests. You will. When you try to do it in your own strength, so follow along with me. A second temptation. Oh, yeah, you know, something else I think Jesus um, alluded to, too. There was a missionary. His name was John Calvert, uh, you know, a century ago. A uh, small little book about his life. Anyway, he's sent to the Fiji Islands um, to be a missionary uh, to cannibals, unreached people. And the crew that took him there on the ship, were they were pleading with uh, James Calvert. And he said, look, Jim. If you, if you take, if you go, um, your life and the lives of others will be destroyed. And he said this in his book, and I hope I can quote him right. He said this, he goes, before we ever ventured onto the ship, we have already died. And what he was referring to, we've already desired, we've already died. We know we're tired, we're exhausted, but this is something we've died to. We want God's will to be done. And you think about that model prayer that Jesus gave us. He said this in his prayer. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, not when you are, you know, uh, have all the energy and when. No, just whatever you find, however you find yourself. Is it your prayer? Is it my prayer? God, I don't care how tired I am. How fatigued I am. I don't care what body part of mine isn't working anymore. I got many of them today. You know, I just want your will to be done in my life. I want your will to be done. Whatever it is in heaven, I want that to be done on earth. The second temptation, the devil takes him up to a high mountain. He shows him the kingdoms of the world. Verse 6, the devil said unto him, Look, I'll g- the power will I give to thee, the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I will give it. This is when Satan... Uh, The Garden of Eden is when Satan uh, became the Lord of this world, the God of this world. And Jesus doesn't refute him. Yes, it is your world right now. And he goes on. So, if thou therefore will just worship me, all shall be yours. Jesus answered and he said, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt only worship the Lord thy God and him only shall um, you worship and serve. So what's happening here is that he takes him up to this pinnacle. He shows him somehow in a flash all these kingdoms. And, he go, and what he's saying in a sense like, hey, look. Look at all this. What is that? That's the loss of the eyes. Look at all this. He's saying, wait, can I bribe you a little bit? You know, his method is bribery here. He offers him the kingdom of the world. and He goes, now all you have to do, Jesus, is just simply bow down and worship me. You know, Satan knows that he came into the world to redeem the world. He knows that. He was all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He understood that in order for man to ever be redeemed, somebody would have to come back and purchase them. And he's got Jesus' ticket. I know you came here. I know why you came here. You know, he's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. But he does. I mean, he, he's eternal. He's going to have no end. Right? Well, he had, he had a beginning. He was created. But he has no end. So he's back in the garden. He's at the temptation of Christ. He's trying to bribe him with, bribe, uh, use bribe with him. And he goes on and he said, listen. He, what Satan is trying to say here is, doesn't the end justify the means? Come on, Jesus. What, the, I mean, what does it matter? What does it matter? You came here to purchase them. Take the shortcut and I'll give them to you. But I'm telling you something, guys. if Just stay with me for a second. The ends justify the means. No, wait a minute. The way God works is the start is just as important as the end. The start is just as important how we get to the end. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. Would you pick this kind of life for you? If you 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 knew you were going to be born again, would you say in this world you're going to have tribulation? Well, no, that's not why I came to you. You know, you're going to be tested and you're going to be tempted. You're going to be on trial. You're going to have an open book test for the rest of your life. It's open book. But you're, Would you have picked that? You would have said, no way. What does it matter, Jesus, if I can just get there? Can't you just save me and then rapture me? That's how I would have done it. <laughs> 1973 in that little dumpy bedroom of mine, you know, say, boom, I'm in heaven. That's, what I'm, that's a plan now, Lord. That's not, how would my mother ever come to the Lord? How would dad ever come to the Lord? How would my aunt, how would your, if, we, if he just took us out of here? No, he left us behind for a reason, didn't he? And that is to be a witness to the world. To the, how beautiful, I know it's my, an old friend of mine, but how beautiful are the feet to them to bring good news. We are the, we're the carrier, not of a disease <laughs> We, we, we carry the gospel and we're going to be tempted and we're going to be test. He's going to show us, is the lust of the flesh an issue with you? That everything you look, you long for, everything you desire, you've you got to have. And it's so powerful, it outweighs the will of God, the purposes of God. You just need, 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 need. Is the lust of the eyes an issue? You can't stop looking at something when you know you shouldn't be looking at it. You start to long something that's outside of the will of God. And before you know it, you're compromising with your work. And, and you're just thinking, well, God will let, allow his will to work out in my life. No, it's just as important. You remember King David. And we don't have time to go, go backwards. But King David, man, he, he wanted that Ark of the Covenant He wanted that ark, the thing with the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod, you know, and the manna. He wanted that back in Jerusalem. It had been captured. And once he got his hands on it, he was so excited. He said, does it matter just so I can get back to Israel? And there's this long procession line. And God stopped them right in their steps and said, you will not carry this this way. I have showed you how to carry it. You know what tribe, what people, the Kohath, you know they're to carry this. And you got your hands on it, David do it the right way because the ends doesn't justify the means. And it's that way in our lives. Isn't there just a shortcut, Jesus, to get me there? Unfortunately, no, there's not. Your life is determined. It's determined unto man once to die. And there's no shortcuts getting there. And there's no avoiding it. The best prayer you could pray, God, please let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because it does matter how I get there. Jesus, again, refuting Satan, says to him in verse 8, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You're only going to worship the Lord thy God, and only him shall you serve. Again, Jesus quoting Deuteronomy. You know where it says, Get behind me? You can just write in your margin. It is total rejection and total obedience. He is rejecting What Satan has offered, and he's obedient to God's word. Gang, that has to have precedence in our lives. Rejecting what Satan offers us, no matter how good it looks, how easy it looks, all this health and wealth and prosperity and all this stuff that's out there today in Christendom, that is the norm. We can just get closer to God this way by just adding this. Make it quick. You know, sometimes worship is just obedience. Don't you think? Is there any place in the Bible that talks about obedience that's predicated upon a feeling? Do you ever f- see that? No. Our worship is out of obedience. Now, are there times where you just can't help yourself? Tears are flowing. Hands are up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the cherry on the Sunday. But really, realistically, he commands us to worship him. Holy hands raised up. Pray without ceasing. It doesn't say whether you feel like it. And there are no shortcuts. To worship anything or anybody. You know, if you just bow down and worship me, Jesus. To worship anything or anyone is nothing but Christian idolatry. And the reason I say this, and I've slowed down a little bit, and I'm a little passionate about this. A person, someone in your life, can have more weight on your heart than God himself. And I've seen this over and over and over, and it's always ended up in a destruction. I've seen children weigh more heavily on the parent's heart than God and their relationship with him, and it only ends in disaster. Disaster. I've seen men wanting to date an unsaved Christ- girl and thinking, well, we'll just get her there. And God tells us not to be unequally yoked. I've seen it, guys. It just doesn't work. Nothing, no one should be more important than God himself and As David prayed, you know, search me, O God. Great prayer. In the quietness of your heart, in your prayer closet, wherever you pray, God, just search my heart. Is there anything, God, that I have placed above you? Anything. I've even seen ministers put the ministry above their relationship with God. And again, all I have ever seen was destruction, the ruin of a church, the ruin of a man, a woman. The only protection that we have in this area, only protection when we're being tempted in that sort is the love of God, the love you have towards God, the heaviness that of God's word and God's purpose on your heart, more than anything in this world the glorious thing about this is if we keep everything in order, our priorities, God, your first, your word, you know, he adds unto you those things that your heart's desires are not outside of his will, but he does. When I hear a mom crying for their, uh, their son or daughter, look, put God first. He'll grant to you your heart's desire. Don't reverse it. Don't start loving the kids more than God, because I'll tell you what, that'll just end in destruction or uh, you'll just feel short that you've been shorted. But I love him. I just think he's so handsome. And no, no, no. Love God first. Someone said, someone out of the women's ministry, there's no missionary dating. (laughs) Some of you's got it. Third temptation, quickly. He brings him to Jerusalem. He sets him on a pinnacle. He says to him, If you're the son of God then, cast yourself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in his hands shall they bear, bear you up, lest at any time thou shalt dash a foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and he said unto him, You notice that Jesus, I mean Satan was quoting scripture. He said, No, nah, thou shalt not tempt. The Lord thy God. This is the third temptation. Jesus, why don't, why don't you just go ahead and toss yourself off? And why, would, why would he tempt him to do such a crazy thing like that? It's a 450 foot drop, according to Josephus. It was 450 foot at the, at the times of Jesus. It's not quite that high today because over a period of time, things had built up along the wall. But there at the southeast uh, temple uh, mount, there's this pinnacle, there's this Um, wall and and Satan is saying, why don't you just toss yourself down off of this thing? And you think, was Satan suggesting this? Why don't you take a shortcut then to your popularity? I mean, you want a shortcut to the kingdoms? Just bow down and worship me. Well, you won't do that? Well, why don't you just you know, you want to be popular, right? You came to buy back and redeem back the people of the world, right? So why don't you just introduce yourself this way? Just do a Superman, write off his thing, man. And the Bible does say, wait a minute, Psalms, right? That God will send his angels to take charge of you lest you dash his foot against the stone. You know, did Jesus buy into that? Because when you do read that out of the Psalms, Satan is totally taking it out of context. As most false teaching is, by the way. This book that I'm reading today, it's called Entertaining Deception. My goodness, some of the things that I've even bought into over the period of time, where I'm thinking, you know, this guy sort of bullet points, but he's going, do we see it in the Word? And you look at it, well, no, but we do that because, but it's not in the Word, now, I'm not saying there won't be some experiences we've had where we have to search the word. But I don't think God is asking any of us to live a life that's contradictory towards the word of God. I just don't see that. Listen, listen, Christian songs. Do they line up with the Bible? Do they? Are they in its context? Now, don't stone me. You know, Bones on Fire or whatever this new one everybody's listening to now. She's taking that song out of Ezekiel. has nothing to do with the church. But she's going to have her bones resurrected. Ha! That... Never mind. Like I said, you guys are probably dancing to that song in your kitchen. Uh, The the third temptation here. Throw yourself down. It'll force God. But again, this is role reversing. Or this is reversing the the role. What he's saying... you, You can become the initiator and let God respond. Eyeballs. God has never said to be the initiator where God will have to respond. Nowhere. We, God's the initiator and we respond. Do you agree? Put your hands together <laughs> if you agree with me because I've got to wake somebody up. <laughs> Stay with me, guys. Don't doze. I know it's rainy. You're thinking about a big bowl of uh, chicken noodle soup or something like that. But it's true, man, because I'll tell you what, we are not the norm. If you clapped in agreement, you are not the norm today. You are not. In most parts of Christendom, especially the three main movements today, they're saying, no, you initiate and God will have to respond to you. And that's backwards. And I love that Jesus does not give in to this kind of temptation. Now, Jesus doesn't call. You know what Jesus calls that? Jesus calls that tempting God, not Testing. That's not temptation. That's just tempting God. No, I think this has been um, something that people have dealt with over. Over, over the centuries, actually, I remember that one incident. It hit the news that these parents took their, their kid off of some insulin or something like that. And the child, you know, I think the courts had to get involved. Because what they were doing is they were initiating faith and God would have to respond. Thank God this, the courts stepped in. Or how about the Jehovah's Witness? If they need blood transfusion, they won't do it. Because they've taken a verse out of context and many have died. Listen, what Satan has done, and I think he has done it very successfully, is he has allowed or he has caused the church to believe that being the initiator is walking in faith. That's not walking in faith. That's just being presumptuous and prideful. That's all that is. You know, God doesn't have to do any more than what he's done. And that's something John Corson had said to us years ago at a little round table kind of thing where we were talking. He goes, brothers, we all, we just admired him. He goes, brothers, if God never does another thing for us, never heals our bodies, never supplied anything for us, you know, never, has never done it. But what he's done on the cross should be sufficient. That should be so." Well, the glorious thing, he does still heal. He does still meet our needs according to his riches. and glory. He is all that above. But what is the motive of our hearts? Is it to command something from God? Or is it just to lay yourself in his palm and say, God, whatever your will is for me this day, that's where I want to be. I love how Jesus, again, answers him and he goes, No, Satan, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You're never, ever going to get a good Bible study from Satan. Did you know that? True. True. And the way you know, and listen, this is IBS and Douglass Bible study method, you know. The way you know something's there and it's, and it's a test is if it's misquoted or taken out of context. If those two things, or even one of them, are evident in, this, in whatever's being told to you, if it's taken out of context, brothers, sisters, you put it to the side and you just pray. Lord, I don't want to do anything that's outside of your will. I don't want to do anything that's outside of your word. That weighs so heavenly on my heart and my heart that I can say, Satan, get behind me." No, I don't need bread right now. I need the Word. No, I am not looking at this. I'm going to follow the will of God. No, I am not. And you just say, "Get behind me." It's definite. It's total rejection. I'm not going to respond. Listen, we are never to test God or. Try to force his hand at anything, anything. You can't hype people up and get them all hyped up and then to say, This is God. I have read too many books about the Great Awakening. I've read too many things about, you know, Charles Finney just walking into a factory and the presence of God filling a room and people weeping and falling to their knees without one spoken word. I remember Jonathan Edwards sitting there with a sermon, and all he did was read from it, never looked at the congregants once, and it said the whole place erupted in praise and worship and conviction, and everyone in that room got saved. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of man's hands. And today, we're not the norm. All you need is the lights, and all you need is a little bit of smoke. I saw a Christian concert on... on the, on the computer the other day. And they had smoke. I thought I was back listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young again. Smoke. You know. We don't need to help him. You know what we need? It's a yielding heart. That's it. It's just a yielding heart. Take me, God. I'm yours. Forgive me, God. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. The pride of life. For by the grace of God, go there I. No better than anyone in this room. You're no better than any other church that exists out there today. We are here saved and sanctified and filled with this Holy Spirit because of God's grace and grace alone. Listen, one other cheerful thought to leave with you. A Sherry or Sherry. Um. Sherry, Sherry. <laughs> One final thought, if I could, with you guys. Notice this, that he said at the end, when the devil had ended his temptation, he departed for a season. Remember the movie, I'll Be Back. Thank God he showed us how to handle temptation. And until the rapture of the church... Until you and I are caught away to meet Jesus in the air. To be with him forevermore. To see him face to face. To know all things as they're to be known. To witness the throne where cherubims are flying around it. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. Until we see the Redeemer taking the Goel, the title deed to the earth. We will have times of testing. But it's an open book. Keep your eyes in the word, guys. Start memorizing scriptures. The enemy is scrutinizing you. Be alert. Be attentive. If you're tired, you've had a long, long week, a long month, a long year, a long two years. Know that he ha- you are vulnerable. So keep your antennas up. Keep, keep the word of God handy. Amen. Let's stand together. And again, if you're in need of prayer, if you want to pray with somebody, if you're visiting here today, a lot of this might be somewhat foreign to you. Some of the language, some of the concepts, and I get that. You know, talking about redeemed, you've never heard of that word before, and you're thinking, what on earth is You're just trying to catch up with some of the words or phraseology. I get there. I was there one time. All of us have been, right? And we learn the word of God and we grow in the word of God. But if you're here today and you don't know him in a personal way, that's where it starts. To know him in a personal way. The Bible just says this, and it's so easy. It's an old friend to many of us. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if any man hears, that's a spiritual voice. If you feel a tugging on your heart that you want to know him, or maybe you are here saved, and you've been struggling, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and you're going, no, you're right, Har. I didn't even know it was an open book test. And you just need someone to pray for you. Well, make, make it it's available. Come up. There's people in the prayer team that will pray with you. You know, they're not here to counsel you. Some people are afraid. I don't, I don't want to be told what to do. They're not up here for that. They're up here to pray for you. They love you. Amen, guys? Father, we thank you for your word. And we just ask for your blessing upon us. And allow your word to take a permanent residence within our hearts. God, not just our heads. We want to be able to live and breathe According to your word. We want to face the temptations, God, with your word ready uh, in hand to, to, to combat some of these things, some of the lies that Satan has, Lord. So again, Father, we just offer our hearts to you, asking you to just take it in totality, God, every inch of it. We don't want any secret thing, Lord, as David said, to Create, search me, then create within me. That's what we pray, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.